WCLS in Whatcom County presents Library Stories, a podcast to open your eyes to all the ways your local public libraries matter. Join us as we reveal the power of sharing at the library. I'm your host, Neil McKay, Online Experience Coordinator for the Whatcom County Library System, and today... I'm here again with with Mary Vermillion. Hi, Hi, Neil. How are you doing? (laughs) Excellent. Thanks. How about you? I'm doing good, but we've got a we've got a big show today, so there's no time to waste. That's right. And so who's on the show today? Well, we've got Riley Sweeney, who is the communications officer for the city of Ferndale. Yes, and that's an important job, but he is also our roving reporter. He works on the side as a freelance (laughs) roving reporter for for WCLS in Whatcom County, yes, our, our news organization, <laughs> our, our fake our news water, organization, our fledgling fake news organization. Yes, and Riley, thank you so much. I, I have a feeling he'll be listening to this, so thank you, Riley, for he will be us out. Yeah, because what what we find in the podcast is he is a, a fervent advocate and fan of the library, and we talk a lot about um, how he used the library during COVID. Um, mm-hmm. As well as talking about the the fun that we had creating uh, a couple of videos for Library Card Sign Up Month. Yeah, well, we are a fan of Riley's and a fan of the work that he does for the city of Ferndale as well. Um, does such a wonderful job of keeping that community connected in a you know in an informed and smart and um, I don't know authentic, genuine way, right? Yeah. It definitely has a voice. For, yeah, for real. He is he's he's um, accessible. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good and way to describe he's, it. He's yeah. there for for Ferndale and for us. Yes, for on, us. on, he, on the side. Yeah, he he will he will set aside time to help out the library. That's how that's how much of an uh, advocate and fan he is. That's fantastic. I can't wait yeah. to hear about his story then. And then, who else do you have on the show? Well, I was going to say that's not all. We have local author Clyde Ford. Wow, that's and a great going to be a great interview. It really is. It was a great feather in in our cap to to land an interview. He uh, just recently won an award, which we'll talk about. Yeah, uh, the Was- Washington State Book Award. So yes, mm-hmm. I'm very glad that you were able to get an interview with Clyde and for people to hear more about his story and his book that won the award. Think Black, but I'm I'm sure he'll tell you a lot about the other things he's he has in the works. Oh yeah, you know past and present and future. He's, he's just, he's a Renaissance man mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and yeah. he has his, his fingers in a lot of pies and knows a lot of things. He's a chiropractor. I, I, I always <laughs> forget about that. And then, you know, I hear his, hear his bio and I was like, Oh yeah. Cause he was part of Wacom Reads last year and I got to yeah. hear him speak last year and learn a little bit more about him. Truly a fascinating person. I'm so glad that you were able to, to talk with him and that we'll get to hear that interview. Yeah, you need to stay tuned and listen. You will not be sorry if you start listening to our podcast today. Let's let's get into this podcast. My guest today is Riley Sweeney. Hi, Riley. Hi, Neil. Riley is the communications officer for the city of Ferndale, right next door to the Ferndale Library. So tell me, Riley, what does a communications officer do? Well, you know, back in the medieval days, you'd have a town crier who would walk through the town with a big bell and be like, hear ye, hear ye, there's a plague on. 
but today it's it's much the same. So, you know, I'm, I help the city get the word out about everything from traffic closures to events in our parks and our cities to explaining the complexities of how utility billing works or our next big capital project. And mostly do you do that through through social media, through the news outlets? Well, you know, as our traditional media continues to struggle to maintain solvency um, and, and, you know, that's, that's a dreadful thing for our community. It just means that we have to get better and better about telling our stories as local governments. So um, some of that is, is answering people's questions on Facebook. As basic as that seems, it's where people are and it's where they're talking about city business. And so I pop up like Microsoft Clippy and offer you know, the correct answer when people are speculating, hey, what's going in on that street down there on Vista? And I'd pop in and be like, well, we're getting an art gallery. It's very exciting. Um, but, you know, sometimes it's a press release. Sometimes it's an interview. Sometimes it's, you know, me with a with a camera down at the park talking to the mayor about, you know, the new stage we're building. It's, you know, it's it's everything and a little bit of uh, everything. Whatever it takes. That's right. That's right. Okay, well, so besides being a communications officer for the city of Ferndale, you are also an actor, a writer, a producer of radio shows. What else am I missing here? Um, those are all a good start. I, I produce a, a radio drama called Bellingham Terror. It's a 30-minute historical uh, radio mystery uh, that, that we have a, a season's worth up at bellinghamterror.com. Bellingham Terror. I want to make yes. sure that T-E-R-R-O-R. Bellingham Terror, tales of suspense and mystery. Ah! Like that. And so it's set in 1935 Bellingham. And so uh, we've got all sorts of fun local history in there. Um, there's monsters, there's adventures. It's very exciting. And and uh, so my wife and I do that together. We write and produce it and do all the sound effects and recruit all the actors. And it's just a great project. Well, that sounds like a lot of fun. Our listeners might also recognize Riley's voice as the WCLS news team's roving reporter who made his first appearance last September during library card sign-up month, searching for Sasquatch at various library branches. That was so much fun. I, I'm not just a library patron, I'm a library enthusiast. I love our libraries. And so I jumped at the call when there was that opportunity. Enthusiast is a word that was designed for you, I think. That, that says it all. This year, Riley has reprised his roving reporter role in another fun video that you'll be able to find on our social media and our YouTube channel. So watch for that, everybody. This year, what what were you searching for? Well, I was searching for signs of Sasquatch because uh, he's letting everybody know about the unbelievable good things you can find at your local library. That's right. That's right. So signs of Sasquatch. My name's Riley Sweeney with WCLS News, and it's been one year since we've spotted Sasquatch in Whatcom County, but the signs keep popping up everywhere. Here's the thing, Riley and I went out together to make this video. So we improvised, is, was, is the That's point. right, that's right. And it was part it, of the creative process. It really was, we, we worked it out, we collaborated. It was so much fun to work with you, Riley. I mean, it, 
It's a blast. I, I love doing those. It gets me an excuse to drag out my reporter outfit. Yes, which which of course you have. And and that reporter outfit will also come in handy when we do an inspector gadget uh, video at some point. There you go. Or if I have to, you know, do a, a Casablanca spoof, like yeah, I'm ready. Very much Humphrey Bogart-like. Of all the libraries in all of Whatcom County, I had to walk into this one. Oh, this is going to happen now. <laughs> <laughs> I can see this kind of fog in the library and lights and then... Neil, I think it's the beginning of a beautiful relationship. Wow. Oh, what I was going to say was you were the first person I thought of when we decided to do a wacky video involving uh, a roving reporter. You know, I thought Riley Sweeney, he's the man. I, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. If you go, <laughs> I need somebody to do something ridiculous. You know who'd be good? Riley. Well, two things, you know who would be good and you know who would actually do it. Yeah, see, there's the problem. <laughs> you fit both of those. Well, okay, so um, I want to talk a little about your family because I know family is important to, to you as it should be. And so tell me, um, tell me, tell me about your family. Well, uh, I have a beautiful four-year-old son named Cypress, and uh, I'm expecting a daughter to arrive here in the next couple of months. And I'm going to ask you, have you, do you take your son to the library? Absolutely. I, I mean, he, he was a regular patron. He'd do the, uh, the toddler time uh, mm -hmm. back before COVID, you know, during when we could do in-person stuff. He was a big fan of those. And then um, we, we were frequent flyers at the Ferndale Library because it's so convenient. Have you had your son in during library card sign-up month to search for Sasquatch? He hasn't done the Sasquatch yet, but he did do the summer. Um, the summer uh, stepping stones. There. Stepping stones. Yes. The reading challenge. He, he did all those and yes. read a whole bunch of books and it was great. Um, and I, I just want to praise the remote pickup during COVID time was such an essential lifeline for my family. Uh, you know, we would, you know, when, when you can't go to any events and you can't see any of your friends, you know, books are, are that gateway to another world, especially when you don't have a lot of life experience when you're four, right? And so um, being able to go to the library and pick up fresh books every single week was just amazing for our family. And um, we could not have made it through COVID without it. Let's, I'd like to talk about that a little more. Um, last year, 2020, in March 13th, 14th, 17th, 16th, I think. Yeah. March 16th, we announced that we were closing the doors to the libraries. Do you remember that? Yes, because uh, I was immediately activated to the Emergency Operations Center uh, as, as a government communicator. So um, basically, they scooped up anybody who had government communications experience, and we all went served as part of the emergency response for the first couple of months of COVID before it became clear that it was going to be a, an ongoing, you know, not sustainable to have everybody doing that. So, um, in, in, so, uh, when that happened though, it was, it was terrifying. It was a, it was a scary experience and, um, you know, it, it meant a lot that the libraries figured out a way to uh, allow us to keep swapping out books and stay connected. Yeah. And we, we were behind the scenes in the library 
we were scrambling as well. We were meeting after meeting and trying to figure out, um, you know, how can we still serve? We, you know, the other option would have just been shut us down and waited out, but that's not who librarians are. We want to serve the public and, and we know that it's important to people, um, not only to get books in their hands, but, um, the, but the programs for, for the young kids, the, um, story times and, and things like that. We did a lot of the remote story times, uh, over the last year. And those, those were fantastic. Um, so that was just to explain that, um, our, our youth services staff from every library, every library has a youth services assistant, a youth services staff member. Um, we put out a call to them and we said, would you be willing to make a video of, of a story time song or rhyme? Because that's what story time is when it's in person. It's telling stories, singing songs, rhymes for uh the early years the kids in in you know preschool and and even earlier but but it was great there was a story there was a song there's some little activities and you know all timed for for a four-year-old's attention span um it was great and and it was exactly what we needed something new and fresh and, and unique so um he he loved it and and we and we also did other videos because video became kind of the medium that we could reach out to people with aside from just the the online experience the website i think that's one of the great silver linings of this pandemic is that we really hammered out all the technologies we need to do these interactive experiences so now you can you can drop in on a chat with you know world experts about a subject that you care about you can you can watch the cast of the Princess Bride do a live reading from the script. You know you can see these kind of amazing things because you've got that accessibility now. Yes, and and it took this crisis to to make people comfortable. In yeah. Right now we're talking via Zoom because of COVID restrictions, and that's not um, not something I would have been comfortable with. I'd much rather be sitting with you in your office or, or at a, one of the many fine rentable conference spaces within the Ferndale library. That's, oh yeah. I forgot about that. <laughs> Very good. Yes. At, at the library, or I was thinking more of a brewery to be, <laughs> that would, that would be preferable, but we don't, we can't do that. So we figured out a way and using zoom was another way that, that um, the library managed to get services out through uh, all sorts of adult programming, um, our, our read and share. In the immortal words of Jeff Goldblum, life uh, finds a way. <laughs> this is with the uh, is that part of Jeff? Uh, you got you to gotta Jeff Goldblum it up. Uh, but, uh, uh. <laughs> all right, we'll, we'll do some more impressions later. No, we really shouldn't. <laughs> we shouldn't, but we probably will. So one thing I want to know is, aside from going into the library to find the hidden Sasquatch, uh, stuffed Sasquatch who is hiding in all of our libraries, um, have you picked up a pattern so you can make Sasquatches? Have you? Do you know about this? 
I do. I do. So you can sew your own Sasquatch. You can create your own cryptid. You can craft craft your own cryptid. There we go. We're just Build your own Bigfoot. Yeah, we'll continue the alliteration theme. You know? I think we're onto something. Stitch your Sasquatch. Um, I, I've seen those. I haven't done it because I am I am horribly not crafty. I married an artist because I love having beautiful things in my life, but cannot manage the patience to make them. So uh, maybe I'll, I'll bring the materials home and she might assemble it. So now I'm going to turn a corner here and introduce you to what I like to call the lightning round. The lightning round? I'm ready. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Oh, you could just do this whole podcast by yourself. <laughs> you need someone to bounce off of though. Yes. And that's that's my job. I'm the, I'm the straight man here. So I'm going to ask you a, a series of prompts. I'm going okay. to do a series of prompts and I want you to respond um, with Basically, you don't have to think too hard on these. Just the first thing that comes to your mind. And that's I'm a, go I'm a government employee. I never try to think too hard. Never try to think. So I and just, you know, whatever comes to your mind when I say a kid's book. What's the kid's book you think of? Doesn't have to be uh, favorite. The Ladybug Girl series. I don't know if you've seen them. They are a beautiful series of watercolored books about Ladybug Girl exploring her life, and they are gorgeous. Every time I get to read those, I just linger on every page because they're so beautiful. All right, that sounds good. Now, this is either a kid's or an adult's book. It's your choice, but a scary book. Scary book. Okay, the scariest book I've ever re read was House of Leaves by Mark Danielski. Um, it is a terrifying book. It makes you afraid of architecture. Yeesh. Yeah. And it, it breaks the format of the book in a beautiful and creative way. I cannot recommend it enough. But if you like to sleep soundly at night, don't read it. I'm afraid of plumbing, personally. <laughs> that, that's a healthy... healthy <laughs> I have healthy respect for, for plumbing and electricity. Uh, how about a funny book? Something that has made you laugh out loud. Well, the late, great Terry Pratchett always makes me laugh out loud. Um, and he has a gajillion books in his Discworld series, and they are always a slam dunk and uh, definitely worth reading. You know, I reread Good Omens recently. Mm. I co-wrote it with Neil Gaiman because the, the uh, Amazon series came out, and it's just so many gems in there. Yeah, but I did want to ask you if you had seen the, um, the, the COVID series that uh the two stars from uh yes yes uh michael sheen and, and uh david Tennant. they yes. i could pretty much watch the two of them eat cereal together i mean they really have amazing chemistry and uh yeah that that, that was a pretty good series. it was a great a great kind of uh thing <laughs> parody of their lives i think through yeah. covid very interesting and available on canopy which is the Whatcom Library System streaming service. Which has so many great documentaries. I just watched on Canopy through my library card, uh, Fantastic Fungi, which is mm. a documentary about mushrooms about put, put together by um, an Olympia resident, Paul Stamets. I grew up in Olympia. It's just three hours south of here. And um, he's kind of notorious in the mushroom community as being this auteur uh, mushroom scientist, amateur mushroom scientist. 
The documentary is amazing. Highly recommend it. Fantastic. Uh, next is, and I really, you know, I really like putting this out here, a hopeful book. Ooh. Um, right now I'm reading The Sum of Us by Heather McGee. And uh, it, she's a sociologist and she looks at the economic impact of racism. And um, the first couple of chapters are really depressing. <laughs> but um, she really kind of charts out, you know, a way that, that, that racism is a quantifiable problem, but it's solvable. And, you know, after, after so much um, uh, difficulty and challenges that we've had with, with systemic racism in our community, and we continue to have, um, it was really nice to read about how we can make things better in a concrete and policy-based way. So it's a really nerdy recommendation, but The Sum of Us by Heather McGee, it, it, it filled me with hope. That's great. That's good. Okay, we will, we will look that up and some of us will read that. Ah. All right. And then I want to ask you one more, and this is an important one. And I want you to think carefully about this because, because uh, you know, your words carry weight. Uh -oh. So when I ask you for your favorite of something, it means something. So your favorite local podcast. Objection leading the witness. Because <laughs> obviously I love the Whatcom County Library System podcast. We're listening to it right now. But I'm going to go with the home team and say Bellingham Terror. Available at BellinghamTerror.com. Oh, no. <laughs> All right. That's fair enough. That's fair enough. I'm your... You can... <laughs> It's a tie. We'll call it a tie. There, there, yeah, yeah, a draw. <laughs> there we go. This has been fun, and I know you've got important communicating to do in your communication job as a communicator. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go. Uh, I do want to ask you one favor though. Um, can you sign off as the roving reporter? And wait a minute, I actually have a little script. Oh boy. Did I? I didn't send that to you already, did I? This will be entirely fresh. This will be fresh. Good. It's, it's not improvised, but it's close. If you want to improvise, you can improvise, but. Okay, here we go. Let's see here. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Riley Sweeney, roving reporter for WCLS in Whatcom County, signing off. Back to you, Neil. That was great. And that was Riley Sweeney. My special guest today is local author, Clyde Ford. Dr. Ford is a software engineer, a chiropractor, and a psychotherapist. You're a triple threat. Dr. Ford is also the award-winning author of 12 works of fiction and nonfiction. His most recent book is Think Black, a memoir about his father, the first black software engineer in America who worked for IBM, of course. Welcome, Dr. Ford. Thanks, Neil. Thank you for inviting me here. Your memoir, Think Black, received the 2021 Washington Center for the Book Award in the creative nonfiction category. Can you tell me a little bit about what that award means to you? Yeah, it means an incredible amount to me uh, for a number of reasons. First, the Washington Center for the Book is uh, the state affiliate of the Library of Congress's Center for the Book. And so this to me is really quite a, it's not only a local award, a statewide award, 
but it's a national award in the sense that all of the various affiliates states have centers for the book. They nominate people for those awards. So to me, it's a recognition by my fellow authors, by librarians, by literature lovers around the state um, that there was something they found of value in this book. And that really touches me very deeply. I also have to say that the first person I emailed after hearing that I had won that award was um, someone you know well, that's Nancy Pearl. Yes. And I did that because Nancy is the former director, executive director of the Washington Center for the Book. And I told her, and it really is true, she was the first person I thought of when I got that award is, oh my gosh, this is something that Nancy would really understand because she was there. So Nancy also was very kind in giving me an endorsement for the book. She read it early on, and um, it is a representation of this, this real, I have a lot of pride in being a Washington State author, and I've been very fortunate to have won the Bellingham Mayor's Arts Award in Literature, and now the Washington State uh, Award in Literature in Creative Nonfiction as well. And that's not your only awards. You've also no. I've been very, a very kind uh, of people who have read, particularly Think Black. Think Black was given the Nautilus Book Award in Social Justice. Was a finalist for the Hearst and Wright Literary Award in Nonfiction. I'd already won that award in 2006 in Fiction, and there are a number of other awards that Think Black was given. So I, I was humbled, a little bit surprised, but very thankful uh, that people got out of the book something they felt of value. And it is a great book. Um, I'm, I was spellbound reading it. For those in the audience who haven't read it yet, go grab it as soon as you can. Uh, it's a lot of books rolled up into one is what I felt like. It's a history of IBM. It's a a window into the black experience of the 1960s and 70s, which you, which you experienced. Um, it's it's a lesson in the Atlantic slave trade and the Great Migration. It's it's a thriller in in some aspects. There's so much to this book that it's 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 number one. It's hard to put down. And number two, it's it's filling all my needs for all my my the genres of books that I like to read. Thanks, Neil. I, I think I had the feeling that when the Washington Center for the Book was trying to figure out what category to put it in, the only one available to them was creative nonfiction. And that's why they put it in that category. <laughs> I specifically tried to write a book that would pull together a lot of those threads. Um, and I'm glad that you found it. Uh, the way that I intended it. And it seems like uh, several people who have read the book have found some enjoyment in putting or juxtaposing history, memoir, uh, and some aspects of thrillers as well, too. <laughs> yeah, your your story and your father's story are, uh, they're spellbinding. I mean, I, I, I got, my heart started beating, you know, uh, my blood was boiling with anger in parts and, you know, and the sad parts, there's sad parts in your, in your story too. And they're, they're authentically sad. 
at its core, what I felt like is it's really basically a story about a father and a son. Yes. And that is what it's about at its core. It's a time that it's a timeless story in the sense of that father and son story has been told over and over again in many different iterations. And I wanted to tell that story having lived it in the 1950s and 1960s with a man who was so important to everything that's going on today in terms of computers and technology, both the wonders, the challenges, and the problems as well, too. So can you tell us just a little bit about your father, John Stanley Ford, um, just for the, the audience members who haven't read the book yet? Yeah, sure. And I think one of the really interesting things, Neil, is after the book was published and totally unknown to me, I was just, uh, you know, you sometimes go on the internet, you type in your name or the book's name. In this case, uh, I typed in the address of my family home uh, in the Bronx in New York City on uh, 760 East 221st Street, uh, basically the Northeast section of the Bronx, uh, a neighborhood called the Williams Bridge section, which produced many of the first African-Americans in this field and that field. And what I discovered, much to my surprise, is that my family home, which is no longer owned by the family, is now on an historic register of important places in African-American history. Well, that really, really, really surprised me. At first I thought, oh my God, somebody has really connected to the book in a way that they understand the importance that my dad had in the computer age. But the thing that was so important or surprising to me is the plaque that was there was not for my dad, it was for his father, my grandfather, John B. Ford. And so in saying something about my dad, I really think I have to first say something about my grandfather, John B. Ford, not John S. Ford, my, my father, because John B. Ford uh, was somebody who came from the South uh, during that great migration that you talked about earlier, was um, an African-American porter on the uh, railroad system in New York State, and eventually became, although he was relatively speaking uneducated, by today's standards, became one of the first Blacks to speak at Dartmouth College. And I think it is that sense of being a first, which kind of was in the DNA of the family I grew up in. And so my dad then was the first African-American at IBM, hired directly by Thomas J. Watson Sr., the founder and president, CEO of IBM. And what I discovered, and again, I don't want to you know, do a spoiler alert here with the book, but what I discovered in trying to understand why IBM would hire a black man in 1946, just after the end of World War II, really opened up this window into the history of a company that I also worked with that I had no clue of. And I came to find out in that investigation that IBM and technology in general isn't always on the right side of human rights and social justice, even if on the surface, it seems like they are. And certainly in hiring a black man to work at IBM in 1946, it makes it seem like the company was on the leading edge of equal justice, racial justice, 
and human rights. <clears throat> yeah, they seemed, they, it seems on the surface that it's, it's a very progressive thing to do, but you reveal some dark, some dark uh, stories about IBM. Um, and I won't give anything away either. Go get the book. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing, the thing to say, Neil, is that those dark stories of technology being on the wrong side of, of uh, you know, of social justice and on on equal rights, they're going on today. I mean, just today, sure. really, just today, uh, the governor of California uh, signed a law requiring or mandating certain rights to workers at large factories. And in particular, he was focusing on workers at amazon.com's factories. Now, Amazon, obviously a leader in technology, and yet the way they treat people, you know, particularly people of color and women in their factories uh, is rather abysmal, where factory workers don't even have enough time to go to the bathroom, where there are more injuries at Amazon work factories than on any other uh, factories in the country. I mean, these are facts of technology. It is almost as though technology uses people in 2021, the way the industrial revolution chewed up and used people a hundred years ago. And you remember in those days, they were called muckrakers the individuals, the journalists who went around identifying how meatpacking plants in Chicago really, you know, had deaths and worked children almost to death and all of the other things that were going on in the early uh, years of the 1900s. Well, in a very similar way, those things are still going on, even with this new technology. Yes, and, and I remember in your book, uh, there's a, a scene where your father is talking to you um, and saying there's hardware and, and you say software, and he says, and he's, he's making the point that there's also peopleware. And that struck me as something, you know, it was your father saying it, but it certainly was from the, the organizations, the companies who thought of, of people as tools, just like- Yes, and still do. And still do. Yeah, and still do. And that is, I think, the dark side, that's where the dark side of technology uh, begins. And I think it's incumbent on all of us as citizens, first to educate ourselves with how technology is used, and then to require of our elected officials that they do things to have good oversight and regulation of these technology companies. So the technology companies don't end up uh, controlling our future, but that we have a say in how technology is actually being used. It's an enjoyable book to read and it's a, a memoir. And, you know, you might think of that as kind of a light, uh, a light topic, you know, the, the life story of someone, or in terms of nonfiction, it's creative nonfiction, which seems to give it a lighter uh, weight. But after reading your book, um, it, it kind of forces you to sit down and think. And so it's like, you know, it's like a light-handed lesson that you're giving us. And in, in a, in a, 
an enjoyable way, you're you're feeding us the um, some some real truths, some real hard truths that we have to learn about our about our society. Well, Neil, one of I, the IBM's motto was think. And so <laughs> yes. if the book makes you sit down and think, then I certainly feel like I have accomplished uh, my goal. The book is Think Black. And I think the idea of stepping back from what we're doing and pondering why we're doing the things we are and with the technology we're using, nothing can be more important than that. Um, shortly after the, right before the book was published, I was flying to a writer's workshop in Vermont. I was on a plane out of New York City, a small plane. Sitting next to me was another uh, relatively famous author. And uh, she said, you know, my dad worked at IBM at the same time your dad did. And you know, we're pretty sure that our fathers probably knew each other, even though at the time, both of our fathers had since passed away. And she said to me, she said, you know, I was walking down the street with my dad in New York City, which is where she lived. And uh, it was towards the end of his life. And he asked me, what are all those people doing looking down at their hands at whatever they're holding? And this woman said, well, I explained to him they were looking at their cell phones. And he shook his head and said, oh, my God, we created a monster. And I think that was so telling to me that he understood immediately the connection between what he and my dad and all of those men and women in the 50s and 60s and IBM had been striving for had actually turned around from what they hoped it would be. You know, my dad would talk about technology as this real equalizer and Dem democratizing force, it hasn't turned out that way. In fact, technology has been used as one of the most undemocratic forces that I can think of. Just look at the January 6th insurrection in the Capitol. And one of the things I really sadly enjoyed doing was taking all those iconic images we have of that day, like the panoply of people, they almost look like a you know, panoply of Roman gods or demons. And you'll see that a couple of them are actually holding cell phones or that iconic picture of that man who took over Nancy Pelosi's office, rummaged through it. He's sitting in a chair holding a cell phone. And so right there in that you have the image of technology's use for some of the worst aspects of what it means to live in this country and the most anti-democratic forces that have been unleashed and have used this technology to organize and to pursue the ends and the goals that they have, which in this case was really to take down the vote of the American society in favor of who they wanted to be uh, installed as president. Yeah. Yeah, and you, and you talked about that um, earlier this year. Whatcom Reads had invited you to speak uh, a, and do a couple of, of live Zoom presentations. And one was, was yes. um, on technology and uh, social justice. And the other one was yes. a more broad, let's talk about race presentation. I want to encourage the, the audience um, 
to to look those up because again, you know, you 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 weave a fascinating story when you when when you write and when you talk. Um, so they're definitely worth looking up, and I will have links to those videos um, on our podcast uh, page at wcls.org/podcast because they were they were fascinating uh, hour long presentations just flew by. Um, I want to talk a little bit about uh, other things that you've done. So you've so you've written several um, works of fiction. Um, are you yes. are still writing fiction? You know, what I've done, of course, the thing I like most about my fiction, although it's not the fiction book I won the award for, is I wrote three um, thrillers, nautical thrillers, set in Bellingham and up along the Inside Passage. Those were some of the most fun books I've, I've written. And what I can say, I think I'm okay to say without revealing too much is that uh, we're working pretty hard in Hollywood to see if we can't create a TV series uh, out of those Northwest thrillers. So yes, I'm still doing fiction, but in this case, I'm not writing fiction for books as much as I am trying to craft uh, those stories where they fit into uh, film or TV. So yeah, that, that was just a lot of fun doing those those books and I uh, got my fingers crossed that we might see those books, uh, the Charlie Noble series as a, as a TV series uh, in the not too distant future. That's very exciting, very exciting. And I also heard, and this may not be true, but I heard a rumor that um, there was talk of making a documentary based on Think Black, is that true? Yes, there, there has definitely been some talk of a documentary. Uh, I actually sat down with um, one company so far who, although they didn't really, I think, fit the bill for the kind of company that we want to do a documentary, uh, my, Hollywood, my Hollywood management company uh, and I are certainly on the lookout for companies who uh, might really handle a documentary well. And I'd also have to say, and I don't think it's revealing too much that there's also the potential for a feature film that we're looking at, which would explore the relationship between a father and son based on Think Black and also a series. Uh, and the series wow. would uh, kind of try to wow. try to capture uh, 1950s early technology and what that was all like uh, about um, for somebody like the first black man at IBM. So there's been a lot of interest um, in Hollywood in the story of Think Black and I'm doing my best to see if I can't, as they say, get the, to use a football analogy, uh, get the football over the goal line. That's great. I was, I was thinking that a feature film would be just a powerful way to, to tell that story, um, you know, the dramatic aspect of it. And of course, you would, you would want to uh, try and license the theme to the, the 1971 film Shaft, because I know you've used that in, in your presentations before. It's kind of a, a, a symbol of the 70s, the early 70s and late 60s in your time as a, as a young black engineer for IBM. I, I just, yes. that, I hear yes. that theme after hearing a, a couple of your um, presentations now, when I hear that theme, I think of you. Oh, that's great. That's really, really great. I, I love the association. And, you know, as I wrote in the book, I actually had that song, Shaft, in mind 
on my first day at work at IBM because I had seen the film the night before. So it's absolutely true association. I think I think everybody needs a theme song that they carry in their heads all the time. There you go. <laughs> that one's yours. All right. Well, let's let's um, move on. I don't. I want to honor your time here, but um, I have a little. Um, I guess it's a game that I like to play with my with my interview sure. guests, um, and I've done it to, for a few people, um, Nancy Pearl included, which you'll we'll see when that broadcast hits the hits the airwaves um but i like to ask for four recommendations book recommendations and you don't have to to think too hard about them they don't have to be the absolute best uh books you've ever read just what comes to mind if i ask you for a funny book a book yeah so that is really clear there's i believe it's a 2011 book called uh, Hokum by Paul Beatty, which is an anthology of African-American humor. And that, plus another book called Just African-American Humor by Mel Watkins and Dick Gregory, which was published, I think, in 2002, those would definitely be the books that I would say, God, they're great because they're a collection of really funny stories that are based in the history of Blacks in America. Oh, that's great. That's great. All right, the next book I would ask you for is a scary book. And here I think uh, a book that I, I've enjoyed reading, we reviewed for the, um, or helped to review for the Hurston Wright Literary Award nomination is uh, P. Dot, that's his first name here, his writing name, Nom de Plume, P. Dujeli Clark, that's C-L-A-R-K-E. Uh, he's got a new book out called Ring Shout. And it is a little bit of a scary tale about Ku Klux Klan ghosts and a group of women who go hunting them. And yet it's got a really strong um, social justice theme. So Ring Shout um, by P. DeJelly Clark. And his middle name is spelled D-J-E-L-I. P. DeJelly Clark. Okay. Yes. All right, now um, an audiobook with a with a good narration. Yeah, and here I think you know I can't think of a better one than Trevor Noah's book, uh, "Born a Crime: Stories from a South African Life." It was published in 2016. It's a wonderful narrative, and it's just it's great on audio. It's the kind of thing if you got to drive between Bellingham and Portland. You just throw it in and you just drive and you're there in no time. That's great. That's great. Um, okay. And finally, I always like to ask my uh, guests for a hopeful book. You know, one of my favorite all-time authors was the man uh, Booker Prize winner, Ben Okri, who wrote The Famish Road. And Ben just came out with a new book this May called The Freedom Artist. And uh, Ben is a Nigerian author who really does a wonderful job in weaving an almost magical, realistic story. In this case, it's all about artistic freedom. It's all about the freedom of the press. And while it's a little bit scary in the beginning, it's a really hopeful story about 
what we need to achieve as a society and as artists who are continuing to write based on what we believe as opposed to what the society may want us to say. Wow. Okay. All right. That's great. The Freedom, the freedom Artist. The yeah. Freedom Artist. And I'll have links to those books available on our website as well. Thanks, Neil. You bet. Um, I really appreciate your, your taking the time to talk with me. This has been, this has been just a lot of fun. Is there anything else that, that, that I haven't mentioned that's important that needs to be said? You know, I think the, the only important thing that I would say is my next book will be coming out March of 2022 of Blood and Sweat, Black Lives and the Making of White Power and Wealth. It's a historical look right from pre-colonial African times through colonial America and up past the Civil War on how African-Americans have created some of the important institutions of power and wealth in this country without ever being given the opportunity to partake in the rewards of those institutions. I'm excited about it. Um, HarperCollins is going to be bringing it out. And I look forward to coming back to WCLS to talk about that book and maybe even getting back on your podcast, Neil. That would be great. I would I would love that. And we'll make sure that book ends up in the library so so people can look for that. That's coming out in, in spring of 2022? That's right. March 22nd. March uh, second 22nd. day of spring, I guess. That's, 2022. That's All right. Well, well, thank you, Clyde. It's been a pleasure. Um, I hope we will. We definitely will get you back on the podcast and doing some presentations for the library very soon. Neil, thank you for inviting me on this program. I look forward to the next time we have an opportunity to be together. Be well. All right. You too. Thank you. That's our show. I'd like to thank our very special guests, Riley Sweeney and Clyde Ford. If you want to check out their book recommendations and other links related to their interviews, be sure to visit our website at wcls.org slash podcast. If you're enjoying our show, tell your neighbors. We are here for you, Whatcom County. As always, thanks to that pillar of strength, Mary Vermillion. We didn't start the fire. Until next week, this is Neil McKay for the Whatcom County Library System. Take care. <laughs>